If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, we'll be taking a look today. The considerations of heaven from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord reads, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know this way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And may the Lord add his blessing to both the reading and the preaching of his word. When it comes to trouble, presumably most of us don't look for trouble. We don't even ask for trouble. We don't want trouble nor desire to get in trouble or to be in a troubled situation. However, trouble finds us, which troubles us. Sometimes it is those devastating losses that may trouble us. Changes or losses in friendships cancellations and major plans, or even significant changes in our life, in our health, and our family dynamics may trouble us to a certain extent. And then there's the suddenness, the, the sudden disappointments, or the sudden departure, or the sudden death that troubles us and even takes the, the peace out of our perspectives. Well, for this afternoon, whatever may trouble you or us, or trouble may come, may the consideration of God's truth about heaven comfort us today. And so, if you have your Bibles, we are going to take a look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And this begins as what we know as Jesus' farewell discourse. These six verses are filled with heavenly perspectives and promises. Remember, this significant teaching happens following some disturbing news. In chapter 13, Jesus had just told or, or just informed his disciples that there will be one from the group who will betray him. And in addition, Jesus told Peter directly, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. Betrayal. Denial. This is going to happen among this band of brothers. This is going to happen among this team of 12, these, this crew of Christ followers. And just the mere news or the mere discussion of this trouble them. Another consideration is Christ's departure and death. And in our context, both his departure and death are within 
the next stage. And we all know exactly what happened when the crucifixion took place. We know for the disciples, the world was rocked, turned upside down. And it opened a trove of emotions, despair, despondency, disappointment, as well as fear and sadness like never before. And so this is your context when Jesus says to the disciples, John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is not a be brave buckaroo and go ahead sentiment. And certainly not don't worry, be happy. But rather, let not your hearts be troubled. He's speaking both in terms of what had just happened. He's also speaking in terms of what is going to take place. And so what had just happened, he is telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, when you are sensing trouble and you have, stop. Put the brakes on. Don't wait for the car to roll out of control. Set the parking brake. When you experience turbulence or trouble within your soul, stop with the focus of believing in God and believing also in me. Those were the words of Jesus. And it's interesting, it's easy for us to just bypass this, that latter part, believe, believe in God, believe also in me. One, it's, it's very easy to say, okay, the equal trust, of course, um, God and Jesus are equal. Jesus had previously said, uh, God, uh, the Father and I are one. But there's something significant here because as they believed in God, even though they did not see him, Jesus is making a point Believe also in me in the same manner when I depart or when I'm not present with you. And then he gives the following consideration. On the heels that he had just says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Three considerations. Consider the promises of heaven is the first point. Consider the promises of heaven. Let not your hearts be troubled and indirectly as he indicates the place in the father's house or in the God's present promise here is, is rest because we know that when we get there, there's no trouble at all. There will be rest from our earthly ventures, the heavenly place that will be free of earthly trouble, emotional turbulence, physical trials, in heaven, we will find rest. You might want to jot down this verse in Revelations chapter 14, verse 13. The word reads, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, that is, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. There's an emphatic tense there that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The word rest, it means stop, it means cease. 
And what will be they ceasing or stopping from? It is labors. And so we think about it, what does the word labor mean? It means, does it mean work? Actually, in the strongest sense, it means a certain wailing and grief. It even indicates a certain beating of the chest in terms of when you are in grief. It also means toil, labor, and effort. Even in the English language, we use the word labor. That could mean toil. That could mean hard work or difficult tasks. We even extend this use in terms of denote a mother giving birth. And fathers, we should also know that this labor can be difficult, hard, painful, and exhausting. So what does this word labor tells us now in the, in the Christian life? It, it means that we live a life of exhausting work as we strive to serve the Lord. And isn't it true? Your service to the Lord can be difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy when maybe you're sitting around trying to teach your little children the word and devotions, and they're not sitting nicely or paying attention. Or maybe if you're teaching a Sunday school class, and again, the youth are a little just rambunctious on this on that given evening or day. Think for a moment in Colossians, we had just gone over that. Pastor Chanway just went over that. Paul talked about, in terms of when he proclaimed Christ, teaching, admonishing, and he says, verse 29 of chapter 1, he says, For this I toil, this I struggle with all the energy, but he also says that powerfully works within me. So in other words, if we want to just simply study or teach God's word, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. You want to preach the gospel? It's not going to be easy. Not everybody is going to respond in the same way or an open way. Do you want to testify of God's goodness? It's not always going to be well-received. Your effort, your labor of love to serve the Lord will not always be appreciated, not always be noticed, not always be welcome nor understood. Sometimes you give everything you have, you make the sacrifice, you lay it on the line, and it appears nothing happens, nothing gained. But yet you persevere, yet you carry on, because one day your work will end. Our breath will stop, and we will reach this place of rest. We will meet our Lord and give account of our service to him. We will either be rewarded or suffer loss of the reward, depending on how we carried out his will for our lives. So let us labor long and hard. Let us serve and sacrifice for our Lord while we can, so that when we meet him, we will hear as Matthew chapter 25, verse 20, 21 says, His master said to me, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the promise of heaven is a place where we're going to rest. Is a promise of not only rest, but also a promise of reunion. Later, the disciples would remember these words that Jesus said. So listen closely in verse 3. It says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So what does this mean? It means reunited and it feels so good. It means the disciples reunited with Jesus because they understood. We know that one day Jesus will return from his for his people. The the living will be caught up and taken to be with him in heaven. The dead will be resurrected and taken to heaven to be with him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, you could turn there or you could just note down the notation of the reference of the verse. It says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven in a cry of command with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I am positive the sound of the trumpet will be much louder than that just recent sound. Verse 17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That one day, we will be delivered from the world. And whether we leave here from the door of death or through the rapture, we will be delivered. And guess who is going to welcome us? It's not an automatic door opener, gate opener, not a hired hand to open up the door, not even an angelic being. But it is Jesus. He is coming. And he is bringing to you where he is And that is in heaven, in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. You know, another notation, if you want to make, is Acts chapter 7, where where Stephen preached a long, hard message. And it wasn't received well. In fact, there was gnashing of teeth as they went for him, as they stoned him to death. 
Yet it was in Acts chapter 7, Stephen would see Jesus standing there, waiting for him. And so the worst moment that happened to him became one of the most beautiful moments on the other side of eternity. Jesus awaited him. Jesus greeted him. For all who believe, Jesus will greet us. He will come again. He will take you to himself, that where he is, you may also be. Tremendous promise in heaven of reunion. Not only should we consider the promises of heaven, but consider the place in heaven. There's four subpoints here. So what about this place? It says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If you're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? A couple of things. One, this is a perfect place. It is the father's house. It is, this is where God dwells. God abodes there, perfect in every sense. Glory and praise are evident. Blessing, honor, and glory and power in his presence. And holy, holy, it's the Lord God Almighty. Throughout Scripture, heaven is referred to as called a kingdom because of its, its rule and order. Sometimes in Scripture, heaven is called a city because of its inhabitants. And occasionally, heaven is referred to as paradise because of its beauty. But in the text here, from the lips of Jesus, heaven is called the Father's house. It is perfect in all respects because of the Lord God Almighty. You cannot get lost. You don't need a map or a GPS to find the Father's place. It is the only one there. Not only heaven is the perfect place, but heaven is a populated place. And it says in the text, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. In the ancient times, both in the Middle East and the Far East, Uh, Fathers would have a house, and the children were raised in the house, and when they got married, they built an addition onto the house. And so the father's house kept on getting larger and larger, and larger as apartments or places were built for every married child in the family. And so the father's house got bigger and bigger. The heavenly father's house is very large, Because in our text, it says there are many rooms. It is a populated place. Many rooms for many people. Uh, Now, some would say, well, do you think it's going to get too crowded? Or maybe I'm not used to all all these people. Well, let me tell you, there's plenty of space. Other renderings for my, my father's house is, uh, it translates as mansion. If if this is God's mansion... It is huge. It is humongous. Secondly, in many, many rooms, many people shouldn't bother us because we will have a glorified body. For all who believe in Christ, we will be together forever in the presence of the Lord. And so when we remember heaven, it's not simply just a, a place. It is a populated place. It's a perfect place. It is also a prepared place. Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, heaven is a prepared place 
Jesus is preparing for all who are his. And so what does this mean? There's no operation renovation. This is not fixer-upper, although we do like Chip and Joanna Gaines. This is certainly not Property Brothers, and it's certainly not flip or flop. This is a prepared place. And this is a prepared place by who? By Jesus. If he is saying that I go and prepare a place for you, remember, this is from Jesus. This is from Jesus who fed the 5,000, who walked on the water, who calmed the storm, who healed the sick, who cast out the demons, and he's calling it, he's telling it, and he's preparing it. He is preparing a place for you for all who believe in Jesus. As it's been said time again, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. The prepared people are those who believe in Christ by his sovereign grace. The Bible tells us, for by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God that no one should boast. And so maybe we need to ask ourselves, are we prepared? And if not, listen to the last point. The last point is the path to heaven. Three points, three subpoints, beginning with the obvious. It becomes the obvious path. Thomas asks in verse 5, he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? To Jesus' response to him, he's telling, he's telling Thomas, the path to, through heaven, the path to have a relationship with God is through him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so it is the obvious path. Thomas asks the question. Jesus gives the answer. We also know in Acts 4.12, it says there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is the obvious path through Christ. You can make the case not only it's the obvious path, but it's the only path through Christ. Jesus said, not only did he say, I am the way, but he also said, no one comes to the Father except through me. It is the only path. The only way that we would get to God is through Christ. Not only is is the path to heaven obvious, not only is the path to heaven is only through Christ, There is an open path here. The book of Revelation says, come, from from Revelation 22, verse 17, says, come, let all who are thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life. Then again, that's found in Revelation 22, 17. Jesus would say in the gospel of John, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. And so, friends, if you have not, by his grace, come. Come to Christ. Believe in Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me close with this. In Jesus' last discourse, his last bulk of teaching, his last set of instructions for his disciples, he told them about heaven. He begins with telling about heaven. No matter what they would encounter, what they would endure, what they would experience, it is the comfort of heaven in the promise and the place and the path through Christ. You know, in this pandemic year, almost daily, we're reminded not only statewide, nationwide, worldwide, about disappointments. We are reminded about deaths, departures, and we know it's devastating. But there is hope in Christ who says to all who believe him, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. The promises of heaven, the place in heaven, and the path to God goes through Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, as we come before you, Father, there are times, Father, that we are troubled. And if we're not troubled, Father, we hear of trouble. Father, we pray, especially, it's very easy to be anxious. It's very easy to be worrisome. It's very easy to be unnerved. But Father, we need your comfort. Father, your promise of heaven where there is rest. The promise of heaven that we will be reunited with you. That not only are you there, you will welcome us there. Father, we pray that you would comfort our troubled hearts. Father, we thank you for the place that you've prepared for us. We thank you, Father, that we will rejoice with other brothers and sisters. We thank you, Father, that we will rejoice and exalt our Lord and our God in your midst. Thank you, Father, for the comfort that only you could bring. And Father, help us as we sojourn here on this earth to continue to make the most of our time serving you and glorifying you with all that we do. Father, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.